How you guys doing? Awesome. Fantastic. We're, uh, we're out smack dab in the middle of our series called Disciple, and we're comparing what a Christian looks like to what a disciple looks like. Um, I want to start out this morning but just by giving you a quick quiz. Does anybody know what the abbreviation DTR stands for? Good. That's good. I'm glad all of y'all are good. Abbreviation when it comes to texting is good. DTR is a lot of times what people, when they text, means define the relationship. All right. Hopefully the 1045 crowd will be a little bit more on it. All right. Define the relationship. And usually it happens in such a way between a guy and a girl where the relationship's a little squishy. And uh, they may be friends, but maybe somebody wants to be a little bit more than friends and you just don't quite know. So they have a little DTR. They define the relationship. What is our relationship like? Let's define that. Let's get some boundaries. And what we're doing with this series is having some spiritual DTR. Because as we've been talking about for the past few weeks, there's a lot of people who are kind of Christians and their relationship with Jesus is kind of fuzzy. And it's amazing in the Bible when people would go up and they would talk to Jesus or if Jesus came and talked to people, nobody ever left the conversation with Jesus saying, well, that was a good talk. You know, I think, uh, I think you know, we're good. Usually people, when they have that relationship and they converse with Jesus, they would usually leave scratching their heads going, whoa. Because Jesus, he relentlessly, when he was here on this earth, was always trying to define the relationship. What we've been talking about is a lot of people just settle for being a Christian. And Jesus never called anyone to be a Christian. In fact, Jesus himself wasn't a Christian. The word Christian occurs how many times in the New Testament? Does anybody remember? Three. That's exactly right. If you did a word search and you looked for Christian, it only would show up three times. Yet Jesus used the words, follow me, 49 times. And he used the words, disciple. He called people to be his disciple 269 times. And we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple. It means to be a learner. And we talked about this yoke. The very first week that we are called to be learners and that we would actually place our lives alongside Jesus' life and he would teach us, he would train us, and we would learn from him. And this is kind of the symbol of discipleship. Take my yoke upon you, Matthew eleven twenty eight says, and learn from me. And that Greek word learn is mafetes. It's the Greek word for disciple. So we've been talking about having this spiritual DTR times. We talked about the first week that if being a Christian means anything to you except being just a a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ, then you need to stop being a Christian. You need to become a disciple. Last week, we talked about that a disciple, one of the characteristics of a disciple is that they would prioritize their love around Jesus Christ in such a way that they, that Jesus' love would be supreme. And we talked about the word protos on that. This week, we're talking about that a, dis, that a disciple gives. A disciple gives. In fact, we looked at uh, this verse the past two weeks. We're going to look at it again this week. Luke fourteen thirty three says, So no one can be my disciple. There it is. No one, and we're not talking about being a Christian because being a Christian is easy. It doesn't cost you anything. It's a one-time choice. Now, by the way, it was very hard for Jesus 
Because in order for you to come into a relationship with God, he had to die. But it was costly, but it didn't cost you anything. Being a disciple, as we see here, it's going to cost you something. And in fact, it could cost you, look at this, everything. No one can become my disciple without giving up. Every, what's that next word? Everybody say it. Everything. Everything for me. So giving up everything. To be a disciple, you got to be willing to give up everything for him. Now, the doctrine, the theological word that a lot of churches use is, is the word Lord, lordship. And what it means to be, to say Jesus is Lord, literally means that he is the boss, he is the owner, he is the master. That's what it means to be Lord. He is the boss. Now, you may have thought Bruce Springsteen was the boss. He isn't. Jesus is the boss. He is the owner. He is the master. Now, let, I want to be really clear on the way we uh, uh, set this up because God is Lord. Jesus is Lord. We don't make him Lord. He already is Lord. And we're going to be looking at some scriptures here in a little bit that's going to show that. So, now here's the thing. You can either acknowledge him and recognize that he is Lord now and get the benefits of it, or you can ignore him as Lord, that he's the person in charge, he's the boss, and there's going to be consequences to it. But make no mistake, whether or not you recognize he's Lord or not, he is Lord. He's the boss. He's the owner. He's the big man, if you will. All right. Now, our big idea is this. A disciple recognizes that Jesus is boss by giving him Control over everything. A disciple submits to Jesus and says, you are boss. A lot of people don't recognize your boss, but the fact is, the fact of facts is you are boss. And I am going to recognize that you are a boss by giving you control over everything. Now, where do, where do I get scripture reference? Where do I get scripture basis from this? Because some people think, well, you know what? He's not control over everything. I am the master of my domain. Really? All right, let's look at what the Bible has to say about this. Psalms 50 verses 10 and 12 says this, for all the animals, somebody said the word all, all the animals of the forest are mine. By the way, this is God talking. And I own, everybody said the word own, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. What's that next word? All the world is mine and everything in it. Now, how many of y'all are in the world? All right. Some of y'all are going, I don't think so. Well, welcome to earth, Kalel. All right. Everybody is on this earth. All right. If you own a house, it occupies some dirt. All right? Are you thinking, well, that's just one verse. Anybody can make one verse say anything. Okay. First Chronicles 29, 11. Look at this next one. What's that first word? Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. Now, by the way, that word Lord means boss, master, the one in charge. Right, that's what he's talking about. All right? And this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Now, how many things is he over? All. That's exactly, this is an all-scape morning. I'm glad y'all are awake. 
Praise God for you people. All right, wonderful. Man, I hope the 1045 crowd is half as awake as you guys. So he is over all. Now, again, let's say you don't recognize him as Lord over all. No, no big thing. He's still Lord over all. He's still the boss over all. But if you don't recognize it, you don't get the benefits of recognizing that he is boss. In fact, this is what Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, and we looked at this last week. He is supreme. He's protos over all creation. All things were created by him and for him. He is Lord over all. He's the boss. Now, I love this next verse. This is 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Great question. What do you have that God hasn't given you? That's a great answer. It's exactly right. In fact, I want to ask that question to you. Let's, what do you have that God hasn't given you? Now, some of you are thinking, well, he ain't given me nothing. I, I, I actually bought my car, and I paid for my boat, and I got my house. I mean, I'm doing all this because of me. I, I, got, I got my hard earning money, and I went and I'm buying my stuff. Okay, let's talk about that. Keep that verse on, up there. Okay, you have a job. Now, God, uh, who, who gave you the health so that you can go and work on that job? God, who gave you the ability and the talents so that you can actually even hold a job? God, it's exactly right. You see, if you didn't have your health, you wouldn't be working. If you didn't have abilities and talents that could be usable, you wouldn't claim a paycheck. So what do you have that God hasn't given you? Nothing. God has given you everything. And and if everything you have is from God, how can you brag? I mean, how can you say, do you see what I've done? Do you see what I've done? Daggone, people. We can't brag. We can't brag a bit. And then why do you act like it is yours? Uh Uh-oh. You see, what God is saying is that he gave it all. We can't brag about it. And it's really not ours to begin with. You know... That's what he's talking about, about being the Lord, the boss, the master. Many times we live our lives like we're in control of it. But when we live our lives like we're in control, then we're not going to get the benefits of calling him Lord and acting like and forming our life around that fact that he is the boss. Let me give you an example. How many of y'all have ever rented like a a house or apartment or anything like that? Anyone? All right. I, for the first, uh, we've been married 15 years, uh, seven years of our 15 years of marriage, we have been renting. We rented a, uh, in four years in Dallas, we rented a, um, like an apartment and man, it was, it was something. First apartment we did was like 400 square feet. I mean, it was, it was so tight. I had to go outside the front door to just to be able to change my mind. It was something. All right. And, um, for four years when we went to seminary, we rented an apartment. When we lived in Virginia beach, we rented a Cracker Jack house. I mean, it was like a thousand and some change square feet, uh, house and it was, but we rented it. Now, there are pros and cons when you rent stuff. All right, let me give you one of the the negatives. When you rent something, 
you can't do whatever you want to with the property, right? I mean, if since you don't own it, you, you just can't do whatever you want to. Another con is this. You just, you know, you're, th- you're, you're not really, the money you're putting away, you're never ever going to own the property. But the biggest thing is you got to ask permission. You can't paint the entire outside of the house pink without asking permission. All right? In fact, you can't begin a, a demolition or renovation project on a rental house unless you ask permission because you don't own it. You start doing a demolitions project on a rental property, you're going to see some red and blue lights pull up alongside you and they're going to take you for a ride because you can't do that. You got to ask permission because you're renting it. You don't own it. So that's, that's a, that's a con. Let me tell you a pro though. Good thing about renting is if you're renting and the dishwasher breaks, the pipes burst, um, you start getting a leak in your roof. One of the huge pros, if you're renting and you don't own it, is when those things happen, what do you do? You call the land Lord. Now, did you hear that last part of that word? The land Lord. What does it mean to, 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 what does Lord mean? It means boss, owner, master. You call the land Lord. And guess what? It's not your problem. It's not your problem. It's somebody else's problem. Now, let me tell you, it it would be a stupid, 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 stupid thing if the, the, the leaf, the roof started leaking, the, the stove broke. I mean, the, the, the light switches went out. It would be a dumb thing if you took all of your hard earned money and you started fixing that stuff yourself because you don't own it. Somebody else owns it. You're just renting. The good thing about when stuff breaks and you don't own it, it's somebody else's problem. It's the owner's problem. Now, let's apply this. Let's apply this to our life today. Because a lot of people, they live their lives like they're the owner. They live their lives like they got everything themselves. Nothing was given to them by God. Now, they can live that way all they want to, but the fact of the matter remains, God is the boss. But here's the thing. If you live your life, if you live, you know, uh, you, you, you know you, it's this thing's mine, and this car's mine, and this, this house is mine, and these things that I purchased are mine, these clothes are mine, this food I bought with my money, and when stuff starts breaking and you can't pay the bills... And your marriage starts falling apart and your kids start getting all whacked out. If you've been living your life like you own it, then God's saying, fine, that's your problem. Go ahead. You fix it. And we and see, that's when we all have a come to Jesus, don't we? When stuff starts happening with our health, when stuff starts happening with our family, when we can't pay the bills, everybody goes to church. And everybody says, Jesus, you own it. And God's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You've been living the past 10 years like you the boss. You, you've not asked my permission. When you went out and you wanted to buy this thing or that thing, or if you wanted to take that thing and you wanted, you didn't ask me. 
So you go ahead and you fix it. Now, let me say this. If you live your life around the fact, and it is a fact that God owns it, and you live your life and you ask permission, God, listen, I think I want to get this new car, but I just want to make sure this is in, this is what you want for me. And you pray and you seek out godly counsel. And when somebody, and you have something, you have a possession and you see somebody in need and you feel like God's telling you, yeah, I think I need to give it. And you give it and you revolve your life around the fact that you're not the owner and you're not the boss. You know what happens when stuff starts breaking? What's he going to do? He's going to fix it because we have been living our lives recognizing that he's the boss, that he is the boss. Great example, true story of this, John Wesley, the dude who founded the Methodist denomination with him and his brother Charles. John Wesley was uh, riding in a carriage one night when somebody frantically came up to him and says, your house just burned to the ground. True story. And John Wesley looked at this fella very calm and said, you're mistaken. It's not my house. It's God's house. I manage a house for him. And uh, because it's God's house, it's God's problem. And because I am his son, he wants me to not sleep outside in the cold, so he's going to have to fix it. And you know what? That's exactly what God did for John Wesley. Because John lived his life around the fact that Jesus is the boss. Now, do you live your life around that fact? Or when you want stuff that you want, you just go out and you do it. A disciple, a follower, a learner of Jesus Christ recognizes that Jesus is Lord by giving him control over everything. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, he's going to talk about money. And you're going to, and I'm going to say, you're right. You know, I, one of the things I don't do a lot here, and this is your first time here at One Church, I really don't harp on money a lot. In fact, I was talking with a good friend of mine uh, yesterday talking about this. Um, but here's the thing I'm realizing. I, I, I don't want to harp on money a lot because a lot of people leave church or never come to church because that's all they think. They think, you know what, they're just after my money. And we're not after your money. God doesn't even need your money. He doesn't. He wants your heart. But God's word says where your, your, your wallet is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If he captures your heart, he's going to capture your wallet. Here's the thing about Jesus, though. Jesus, when he taught, he spoke more about money than he did heaven or hell or prayer, all of that stuff combined. He talked a lot about money. In fact, we're getting ready to look at a story where Jesus talks about money. If you have your Bibles, turn to page 756 in the One Church Bible, and we give those out for free out in the foyer. Matthew 25, 15. And this is what the story that Jesus is telling. Now, let me say this. It's, this is not just about money. It's about everything. Everybody say the word everything. You remember that, fir- that first verse, Luke 14, A person cannot be my disciple without giving up everything, without giving up control of everything. Matthew 25, 14 and 15 says this. Again, Jesus is talking. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated. So he is talking about God's agenda. He's talking about God's way of doing things. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and what's that next word? Entrusted whose money? His money 
to them while he was gone. Now, question, whose money was this? The guy, all right? The, the guy going on the long trip. It's his money. It's not the servant's money. It's his money, all right? Now, um, verse, uh, let's see, verse 15 says this. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he said, see ya. Now, let's talk about this. Some of your Bibles may have the word talent. And a talent, it wasn't, a, a, we think of a talent like as an ability, like river dance or, you know, yodeling or something like that. The talent in that day and age wasn't really an ability. It was a method. It was a measure of payment. Now, let me tell you, and, and the great thing about the New Living Translation, it tells us what it is. It's a bag of silver. Now, let me tell you what a talent or a bag of silver in that day would be worth in now in our day. One bag of silver would be worth $840,000. Anybody have $840,000? Anyone? Yeah, I'm with you. I would too. All right. So the, the, the five bags of silver he gave, I had to do a calculator on this. This, the first guy received $4,200,000. How many of y'all would love to receive four mil? I'm with you. I am with you. And the rest of y'all who didn't raise your hand, y'all ain't supposed to lie at church. All right. Now the second dude gets two bags. All right, two bags, and his money is worth one million six hundred eighty thousand. I would be happy with that. I'm not a beggar, you know. I mean, I'm a, you know, I can live with that. And even the third dude who only got one bag—that's eight hundred and forty thousand dollars. All right, I don't have eight hundred and forty thousand dollars. So this is not chump change. These are servants. Some of your Bibles call them stewards or slaves who have been given just an amount. Uh, just a, a massive amount of money. Now let's keep on reading. Verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. So how many does he have? Ten. All right. That's like eight, eight million dollars this dude's got now. The servant with the two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. So how many does he have? Four. That's right. Um, but the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. So all three of these servants, they receive different portions, different bags of money. And two of them start acting wisely, not with their money, but with their, their master's money. But for some reason, the third didn't really do anything. Maybe he started believing that the boss man just would never show up again. Maybe he started thinking, you know what, maybe, you know, he's, this money's mine. Because, you know what, it's been six years and, you know, it's, uh, uh, he doesn't have it. Possession's nine-tenths of the law. Maybe he was just lazy. We're going to see. Verse 19, but after a long time there, what's that next word? By the way, that word master is translated Lord, boss owner. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're calling him that word, master. The Greek word is kurios. Their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Bum, bum, bum. 
right. And now, how long was he gone? Long time. Don't know how long, but we know it was long. Long time. Now, keep on reading. Verse 20. The servant whom he had entrusted. That's an important word because it wasn't the servant's money. He had entrusted the five bags of silver, came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Now, whoa, 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 whoa. Small amount? Come on. Four mil? That ain't ain't chump to me. All right. This small amount. So I'm now going to give you many more. What's that next word? Responsibilities. That's what we're we're getting ready to hone in on that. All right. Let's celebrate together. So they're going, woohoo, they're celebrating. I don't know how they celebrated, but it wasn't just, oh, that was really good. If somebody doubled your money, what would you do? I think you'd do something for them. Take him out on a steak dinner or something, right? Keep on going. The servant who had received, look at that word receive. He didn't earn it. It was given to him. The two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I've earned two more. And look what the master says. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Where have we seen that before? That's right, five bags. It's exactly right. Um, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful handling this small amount. Again, not small to me. Um, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Now, I, I want to say this really. They both get the same reward. See, some of you, you're thinking, well, I, I just, Chris, I, I don't have a lot to offer. You don't seem to understand. I don't have a lot to offer. And I would say, Everybody has something to offer. God has gifted you. He's gifted you with time, health, uh, influence, money, things, possessions, uh, relationships with people. He's given us, and you may only have one bag, but God doesn't say, okay, I'm only giving you one thing. And he doesn't chastise them for the, the two bags for not getting 10. He says, no, you did a great job as well. You did a great job as well. But look at this. And I think what God is saying is, I'm not asking you to be like somebody else. I'm not asking you to try to just solely imitate somebody else. I'm asking you to do the only thing that you can do, and that is be you. You be you. You be you because I made you, and you be the best you in Jesus Christ that you can be, and you watch how I'm going to bless it. Let's keep on going. Let's look at the other fellow who did nothing. Nothing with his master's resources. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, Master, Master. Uh, that, by the way, why in the world he's calling him Master, I don't know. The word means Lord, boss. But this dude has not lived his life like this person was the boss or the owner. Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Really? 840000 In harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops that you didn't cultivate. And I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your 840 back. Here's your eight. I mean, this dude is just, he's giving lip service. Because he may call him master, but he's not his master. He didn't live, he didn't didn't take the responsibility of this money by making him the owner. And by the way, then he insults him. Says you're harsh, that you're going to ask for something that you didn't give, dude. 
He gave, he entrusted you with 840. He says, you're harsh. He calls them stingy, dishonest. You know, that's not the way to win friends and influence people there. Look at what he says, verse 26. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, then why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then he ordered, take the money from the servant. Take it from the servant and give it to the one with 10 bags. To those who use well what they are given, here's the point of this story. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. Man, I think that's huge. They will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. The point of this story is also found in Luke 16.10. I want to read you what Jesus says here. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you will be, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should I trust? Why, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Now, just like this story, God has entrusted you and I with resources. He's given us, he's trusted us with resources. And just like the story... Our master is on a trip. He's been gone for 2,000 years. And sometimes we think, well, he's never going to come back. So this stuff is mine. And I'm going to do whatever I want to do with it. But just like these servants, we got to realize that our master is going to be coming back. He's either going to come back and we're going to meet him or we're going to die and we're going to meet him. Either way, there's going to be an account given. And he's going to say, what did you do? I gave you this much influence, this much money, this much time, this much talent, this much resources. Now, what did you do to promote my kingdom? Not your kingdom, my kingdom. You see, so many of us, our kingdom is like building sandcastles right next to the ocean. We, we, we spend all of our life, 70 years, building our own little sandcastle only to see the tide come and just bring it out to the ocean. And God's saying, no, 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 no. If that's what you're doing, building your kingdom, then that's what you're doing. You're playing sandcastles right next to the ocean. And it's not going to last. But if you live your life like I'm the boss, I'm the owner, then you know what? You're going to get some dividends in the end. You're going to see something in the end. Jesus is going to come back. The cool thing about this is that we're going to, it says when we get to heaven, he's going to give us greater responsibilities. Did you know that this life is not all there is? That this is just the preface of a really, 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 really long book. Because eternity is eternal. Now, none of y'all wrote that down because it wasn't like very, ooh, that was powerful. But eternity is forever. And what you do with the resources you have down here is going to determine what God puts you in charge of in heaven. That's what the Bible says. But some of you say, well, I thought God's love for me was unconditional. I thought God was just going to love me, what, you know, whatever. And you know what? His love is unconditional. When you start talking about God's love for us, that's, about, that's Christian stuff. That's whether or not you're, if you're a Christian, that's whether or not you've asked Jesus to be your savior. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about being a disciple. 
I'm not talking about how much God loves you. I'm talking about how much God trusts you. How much can he trust you with the things here on earth and eventually the things what it's in heaven? That's what being a disciple is. And that's where we have to recognize that Jesus is the boss. We've got to recognize that he, he's the boss over all the small things and the big things. Listen to this. There is a direct relationship. There is a direct relationship between what you do with your money and your stuff and the spiritual depth and condition of your life. Did you know that? See, some of you, you may have hit a dry spell with your life and you're thinking, man, I've got to read the Bible more. And, you know, maybe I should find another church. Maybe I should go to church 9 o'clock and 1045. Now, that may be, some of those may be valid. But let me tell you, what you might want to do is look at your checkbook. Maybe you, what you do is you should look at how you're dealing with your resources. And i got to be honest with you, me being a pastor... This may sound a little self-serving saying give, but this is what the Bible says. But you need to know as a pastor, there have been times in my life where I've struggled with tithing. Now, you're probably never, ever going to ever hear a pastor tell you that, but I have. My wife and I, we, we, we experienced years where we just struggled. We gave nothing until a friend of mine came up to me and said, you know what? I, I see the checks. And by the way, I never do see what any of you guys give. So this is not pointed towards one individual. But this person did see what I give because he did the books. And he says, you know, Chris, I love you. But there seems to be, uh, it doesn't match. And he was right. He did it in a loving way. And it still sometimes hurts. But I have to honor God with everything because he owns it. Now, some of you are thinking, well, what are you telling me? I should give everything to God? No, you give him control over everything. There are some things that he asks for. But there's some things he says, you know what? I'm going to give it to you as a steward, and you manage it well. It's like this. My, my wife, uh, um, she was talking to a lady. Uh, she's a, my wife's a piano teacher. And um, this lady uh, said, asked her, she said, tell me about Jesus Christ. And my wife was like, okay. So Kim told her about Jesus Christ, and she asked Jesus to be your Savior. This happened like a week and a half ago. And uh, this person didn't have a Bible, and Kim has this little Bible that she loves, a little pink Bible. And, uh, and Kim says, well, have, have my Bible. Now, who bought that Bible? My wife did, all right? She purchased that Bible with the money that she got from paying lessons. But she realized that Bible wasn't hers. So she gave the Bible away. And this lady says, I can't do that. And Kim says, that's fine. You go ahead and do it. She left, and Kim's so excited, she went to Lifeway and bought like 12 Bibles <laughs> to give to more people, all right? Because there's something about giving your possessions away that frees us up. And God's not saying give your house away, give your car away. He might, but very rarely, m- m- many times, he just says, you know what? I just want you to acknowledge me as the boss. Acknowledge me as the owner. Verse 13 of Luke 16 says, No one can serve two... What's that next word? No one can serve two lords. For you will either hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. A true disciple recognizes that Jesus is the boss by giving him control over everything. Let me give you an example as we close of of a true story. Sam Houston. Sam Houston... Um, lived back in the 1800s. He was born in Virginia, 
Uh, he was a congressman uh, in, uh, here in Tennessee, a congressman and a governor of the state of Tennessee. He decided to move to Texas. And let's hold it down out there. Just jiggly. He moved to Texas where he joined the fight of independence and became the commander of the Texas Army. Well, in 1836, Texas became a republic. It became its own nation. And they elected Sam Houston the president of of the United State of Texas. In fact, even today, Texas is the only state that can fly the Texas flag and the American flag side by side. All the other ones have to be, the, the state flag has to be a little bit below because before Texas was ever part of the United States, it was its own nation. All right? So, 1836, he's the president. Then later in 1836, Texas got, actually came into the Union. And it was then that, uh, that Sam Houston became its first senator. In 1959, he was elected governor of the state of Texas. He was a very tough man, had a lot of influence. Was You know what his nickname was? The Big Drunk. Because this dude could not control his life. That's what people called him. But Sam Houston married a godly Christian woman who went to church day in and day out. And Sam Houston was not a Christian, but this godly Christian woman prayed for Sam, prayed for Sam, prayed for Sam to come to know the Lord. And you know what? It happened. Sam Houston became a Christian. Let me tell you how it happened. Um, Sam Houston was visiting this little town called Independence, Texas, and where he heard a sermon by Dr. Rufus Burleson. And he preached a sermon out of Proverbs, Proverbs on this. Better he who rules his own life than one who rules a city. And Houston had taken cities and had taken states and even he was even a president, but he could not rule his own life. He was just one big drunk. So he came under the conviction of God and he, he went up and he asked the pastor, he says, I want to become a Christian. And Rufus said, come on. So in uh, November 19th, 1854, in Bushy Creek, Dr. Burleson was getting ready to baptize Sam Houston. And Sam had this pocket watch. And uh, the pastor says, you might want to take that off. That's going to get ruined. So he took that off. And he says, oh, by the way, you might want to take your wallet out as well. Because it's going to get wet. And Sam Houston said, true story, says, no. He says, my my wallet needs to be baptized as well. You see, I think many of us, we've given our hearts to God. We've become a Christian. And we've been baptized. But what we've not done is giving God control over everything else in our life. And that's a very scary place. It's a very scary thing to do. And uh, I will say this as a pastor, I, I, I hate preaching on money. But one of the things I realized that if you're going to grow in your spiritual walk, if you're going to grow up, then you and I have to work how we deal with our money, how we deal with our possessions, how we deal with our time, how we deal with our talents, how we deal with our resources. We've got to make God give him control over everything. And that means we got to ask him permission. What do you want me to do with this? Because it's not mine. It's yours. Dear God, I just thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us 
to not really own all this stuff. Because if we owned it, things go south, we couldn't do anything about it, God. But Lord, I tell you, I'm so thankful that when stuff starts breaking, when stuff starts just... uh, just falling apart, God, when we make you bad choice, when we recognize that you are Lord, God, when we recognize that you are Lord because you are in control, when we recognize that you are master and owner and you're the boss, Lord, you fix it. And Lord, your word says so clearly in Philippians chapter 2, that everybody will recognize you as Lord sometime. In fact, what Philippians chapter 2 says, everyone on the earth and even under the earth will recognize you as Lord. Lord, there's going to be people who are going to live their life apart from you, apart from a relationship with you, Jesus Christ, and live their life like they're the owner of it all in 50 years, 60 years 30 years after, once they die, they're going to recognize being in an eternity apart from you in hell. They're going to be saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the boss. But then it is too late. Lord, I pray that all of us, Lord, that we would recognize you as the owner of everything. And Lord, when that homeless person, we, we, we meet his eyes and we feel like God's telling us, you know what, give something. Lord, I pray that we would follow through and we would do that. That we would acknowledge you as our boss. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.